Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Fabricant. Question one, sir. <clears throat> Mr. Speaker, sir. Before listening to my engagements, sadly, I'm sure the whole House will wish once again to join with me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Corporal Ben Leaning and Trooper Kristen Turton of the Queen's Royal Lancers Battle Group who were killed in Iraq last Thursday and Kingsman Alan Jones of the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment killed in Iraq on Monday. These young men were brave and committed soldiers. They died in the service of their country and we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, so this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I'll have further such meetings later today. The whole, the whole House will join the Prime Minister in offering condolences to those families of the soldiers, the brave soldiers who lost their lives and also be joyful in welcoming back the Staffordshire Regiment who have only just returned from Iraq. Mr Speaker, Despite claims that there is a full consultation going on in Staffordshire, Labour-controlled Staffordshire County Council have announced the closure of all residential care homes and also day centres within the next two years. While we recognise that change does have to come about, surely it should be phased in over time. And many elderly people are worried about their future and have no relatives to look after them. What can the Prime Minister do to try and ensure that in Staffordshire at least this change is phased in gradually over time? Well, first of all, I, I know the Honourable Gentleman is aware that there have been uh, meetings between my uh, Honourable Friend, the Care Services Minister and local members of Parliament, and I'm happy to facilitate a similar meeting between the Minister and the Honourable Gentleman. And I think, in, in fairness to um, Staffordshire, they do understand that this has to be done in a planned and careful way. What they're actually trying to do, as I understand it, is to move from a situation that around about 4,000 people that they have responsibility for, of whom around about 10% are in their residential care homes. They want to move those out uh, into the independent sector, but also improve community services and are willing to invest, I think, an extra £90 million in order to do that. Now, it is obviously important that the consultation happens in a proper way, and I think that they have listened very carefully to the representations that have been made on that, but I think, as he implied in his question, they also believe that it is right to make these changes in the interests of elderly people and those in residential care homes, but of course it must be done with a great deal of care. At the weekend, I met with a group of my constituents whose lives have been made a misery over a long period by the antisocial behaviour of two neighbouring families. Would the Prime Minister outline the range of powers available to local councils to deal with issues such as this, and could he give any explanation why Milton Keynes Council seems to be so disinclined to take effective action in this case and other similar cases, could it be because they're Liberal Democrat controlled? Uh, well, um, first of all, uh, yes, there are a very full range of powers that are now available under antisocial behaviour laws. And that ranges from antisocial behaviour orders um, through to dispersal orders, through to, for example, evicting people who are using homes for dealing in drugs. Um, and these are very, very important powers and where they're being used by local councils and the local police, they're making a real difference to people's lives. And I'm afraid to say the Liberal Democrats voted against those powers, quite wrongly, because they help people. 
and it appears that the right honourable gentleman, even the leader of the Conservative Party, called them short-term and costly, bureaucratic and counterproductive. Well, they're not counterproductive for those families in those communities who desperately need that help and those powers in order to make life workable for the vast majority of people in all communities who live in a law-abiding way. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in sending my condolences to the friends and families of Ben Leaning, Kirsten Turton and Alan Jones who have been killed in Iraq in the last week. We all pay tribute to their memory. Last night, Peter Clark, one of the most senior officers in the Metropolitan Police, spoke about leaks of anti-terrorism operations to the press. In his words, the people who do this to squeeze out short-term presentational advantage, compromise investigations, put lives at risk, and are beneath contempt. He referred specifically to the recent investigations in Birmingham, where the press seemed to know about the arrests almost before they took place. Does the Prime Minister share both Mr Clark's analysis and his concerns? I share his analysis entirely, and and let me say um, that I completely deprecate any leaks of sensitive information that can impede terrorist investigations. These are immensely important for protecting this country's security. Um, And I understand uh, Peter Clark has has said today that he is not making any allegations in respect of anybody. However, what he is saying is that there can be no justification ever for doing this, and I entirely agree with him. Both the Shadow Home Secretary and the Shadow Attorney General have been pressing on this issue for some time, and Mr Clark's remarks today show their concerns were well-founded. Can the Prime Minister give a guarantee that leaks about the operation in Birmingham did not come from any minister, any civil servant, or any special adviser? The only guarantee I can give is that, as far as I'm aware, they did not. Uh, But let me make it absolutely clear that I completely condemn any leaks of sensitive information from whatever quarter. But I don't think it is right to leave an allegation suggesting there may be a minister who has done this unless he's got actual evidence that that is so. Um, But I would have thought that everyone should understand that when the police, particularly when they're conducting very sensitive operations and where there is the potential for the significant loss of life, then it is incredibly important that that information is kept confidential and tight. And as far as I'm aware, that is the case. As the Prime Minister says, this is a very serious issue. So will he confirm that a full-scale leak inquiry is underway? I'm not going to confirm that. However, what I will say... What I will say is this, that if there is any evidence at all that people have been engaged deliberately in leaking information of this sort, then I can assure them I will take the strongest possible action in respect of whoever it may be. Well, Mr Speaker, he says he's pretty certain it's not a minister or a special adviser, but if he hasn't had a leak inquiry, how on earth can he know? I'm sure the Prime Minister understands the damage that the culture of leak and spin has done to his government. When it comes to national security, this can actually cost lives. So will he today, today, confirm he'll establish an independent leak inquiry led by a senior and independent figure? Yes or no? No, I will not confirm that. And for this, for this very simple reason, if he has evidence that someone has been involved in such a thing... I will, of course, investigate it and have it properly investigated. But what I'm not going to do is have a situation in which he simply makes this allegation, leaves it hanging there, without any evidence to back it up, whatever. If I were being unkind, I would call that a smear. Yeah.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister is committed to an NHS which delivers the right care to, the, to patients at the right time in the right place. Therefore, I would ask him to um, indicate his commitment to an urgent care centre, a feasibility study for an urgent care centre in the Ormskirk site of the Southport and Ormskirk Hospital. This would be very much appreciated by all my constituents who have campaigned long and hard for the return of, of such a service. As my uh, honourable friend will, of course, know, that this is something that it is up to uh, the local um, primary care services and primary care trust to determine, but I understand there is a full assessment uh, that is being made about the advantages of having a primary care assessment centre at Ormskirk. And the importance of these types of, of centres is that they are part of bringing the care closer to the community, which is very important. They're part of also reducing some of the pressure on local hospitals. And they're part of the, the different way we are delivering healthcare services uh, in today's world. And um, as she will know in her own area, there has been a quite dramatic fall in waiting times and waiting lists and the improved treatment um, of cancer and heart disease. And it's important we have primary care facilities that are appropriate for the type of care that's available in the 21st uh, century. So I, I, I'm pleased that they're making this assessment and I wish it well. Sir Mingus Campbell. I join the Prime Minister in, yet again, his expressions of sympathy and condolence. Does the Prime Minister believe that members of Parliament should be exempt from freedom of information legislation. Why should there be one law for MPs and a different law for everyone else? Yeah. Um, I, th I think this is uh, a matter for the House, and the House can make its, its view about that. Um, and obviously, since this is a private member's bill that is before the House, it would not be appropriate for the Government to, commit a, to make a commitment one way or another. The failure of the Government to oppose this bill which emanates from a former Conservative Chief Whip, undermines the Government's own legislation and simply persuades people outside here that Parliament has something to hide. Does he support this shoddy bill, yes or no? Yeah. I mean, I am not going for an expressive view on this, but I will say something which is that actually we have one of the most transparent systems in this House and elsewhere, anywhere in the world. And I uh, actually think occasionally members of Parliament should stand up for the public service that they give and that they do. And I think the vast majority, yeah, well, I happen to think the majority of members of Parliament from whatever political party in this House actually do a good job of public service, do it in the interests of their constituents, and do it against the background of a more transparent system than most countries have in the world. Does the Prime Minister agree that the reopening of St George's Hall in Liverpool by Prince Charles, the halving of unemployment and the 40% increase in government funding for education in Liverpool show the government's commitment to the people of Liverpool. But could he also indicate, as the people of Liverpool go to the polls, what additional support the government could give to ensure that the city's growing success is shared by all its citizens? Well, the story of, of, of the renaissance of, of Liverpool, the regeneration, um, the new proposals on schooling that have increased results uh, fantastically, obviously, the fact that Liverpool is going to be the, um, the European capital of culture for next year, all of this indicates that the huge and strong support that's been given by this government to the city of Liverpool has yielded real benefits to the people over the past few years. And actually, the best thing they could do is vote Labour in the local elections. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would, uh, I would like to return. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'd like to return to the 125,000 people who've lost their occupational pensions because their pension schemes have collapsed. In the last week, the pension minister has said explicitly that all those covered by the financial assistance scheme will get 80% of their pension. Vitally, he said that this 80% level of support will be from the taxpayer and is not dependent on unclaimed assets. Of course, we'd like 90% paid. But let me ask the Prime Minister this. Given, given that thousands of those affected have already reached retirement age, and given they're not getting the 80%, will the Prime Minister look again at the issue of a Treasury loan so he can start to make those payments straight away? First of all, let's just nail this down on the 80%, 90%, 100%. I'm sure we'd all like to give everyone 100% of what they want all the time, but it has to be paid for. And we can only afford, um, and this is with a payment of £8 billion from the taxpayer, to go up to 80%. We are prepared to look at any measures, but the problem with the Treasury loan idea is that, having looked at it, we don't think that it is a very suitable or correct way of trying to provide that help, because in the end, all of this has to be paid back. And it's rather like his claim, his, his, um, his policy on unclaimed assets. We are happy to look at this issue. We are looking at it. Over the next few months, we'll report on it. But I cannot make promises to people, either on the basis of some unspecified Treasury loan that would have to obviously be paid back, or alternatively, on ideas that there's a pot of gold lying about in bank accounts or building society accounts or pension fund accounts that we can simply lift and give to people. Life doesn't work like that. I, I simply don't think the Prime Minister understands the point. Many of these people have reached retirement age. Some of them, like my constituent John Brooks, he's 67 and has leukaemia, are desperately in need of money, right? He's paid into a company pension scheme for 40 years. Now, given that the government has said he's going to get 80% of his money anyway, given that they've said that, right, why not use a Treasury loan and start the payments now? Because that will have a financial consequence that we have to meet. Now, let me say, first of all, I am totally sympathetic to his constituent and to others. And indeed, let me make it clear, it is only under this government that any help has been available for people in those circumstances. And I am happy... I am happy to correspond with him about the problems in relation to the Treasury loan idea. What I won't do is say to his constituent or any others that I can promise them something unless I'm sure we can actually deliver within the financial means that the government has. Andrew Slaughter. Will my right honourable friend join me in condemning the cuts to the voluntary sector by Tory-run Hammersmith and Fulham councils? Uh, our local law centre has been cut by 60%, organisations helping refugees and the homeless and the unemployed cut by 100%. I thought the Tories claimed to support the voluntary sector. Can he explain to me what's going on? Well, I, I feel what is, what is happening is a metaphor of what would happen with a Conservative national government too. Because what's happening is that having said that they would actually support the maintenance of services. They've instituted, I think, around about £34 million worth of cuts in those services, and those are having a damaging effect on some of the most vulnerable people in his constituency, and people should understand that when they come to vote on May the 3rd. Why is it that my constituents in the London Borough of Betsy are facing cutbacks and downgrading in NHS services locally? Who does the Prime Minister think is responsible for this? And perhaps an answer that would be grateful. 
Uh, first of all, I don't, in fact, believe that in his area that the health services are being degraded or downgraded. Actually, within the strategic health authority that covers his area, there's been something like an investment of £1.7 billion. There have been some 27 uh, lift schemes for primary care premises. There are around about 16,000 more nurses and 2,500 more consultants. Now, it's true, and I understand the problem in his area, is that they are changing the way services are delivered, but that is for a very good reason, and it's affecting many constituencies in the country, and I truly believe the Conservative Party's got the wrong position on this. The reason why services are being changed and reconfigured is they're becoming more and more specialist, and it actually helps the patient if they can get access to more specialist services. And that is why this is being driven, not actually by uh, cost-cutting, because the NHS is receiving billions of pounds more. It's being driven by the fact that we have a changing healthcare system in a changing world. John Mann. Speaker, uh, in a most excellent report published today, Lord Lofthouse has highlighted the scandal of overpaid solicitors double-charging minors. Will the Prime Minister get the Department of Trade and Industry to write to every minor and minor's widow who's put in a claim, both to highlight the success of this scheme in terms of paying out compensation, but also how they can make a complaint to the Law Society if they've been double-charged by their solicitor? Well, I, I entirely uh, understand um, the, the point my honourable friend makes, and, and uh, Lord Lofthouse's report is obviously very important to this. And I will certainly ask the DTI to look into um, the suggestion he's made as to how this is, is, is taken forward. Um, as a result of the uh, action that's already been taken, I think some, somewhere in the region of £100 million worth of fees have been taken back um, from law firms. Uh, but I, I would like just to emphasise one thing. As a result of the measures that we've taken, um, and minors' compensation, we will have paid out over three billion pounds, and that is something I believe for those who used to work down in the mines and for mining communities, that is something that would only ever have happened under a Labour government. Mark Hunter. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 1999, the Prime Minister personally pledged that within two years, everybody would have access to an NHS dentist regardless of where they lived. Yeah. Eight years later, according to the British Dental Association, less than 50% of the adult population of this country are currently registered with an NHS dentist. In my own constituency, no dentists are currently taking on NHS patients. When does he expect to see this promise fulfilled? Yeah. It is and has been a real problem, and I entirely accept that. And the reason for it is, is very simple. Even though we've increased the number of dentists and the number of NHS dentists, we cannot stop people, dentists, going outside of the NHS if they wish to do so. They're entitled to do that, and despite the fact we are paying far more and hiring far more within the NHS, uh, we have not been uh, able to fulfil that pledge. However, the majority of people are actually within their able area able to access an NHS dentist if they want to, but that is not 100%. I accept that. Uh, and it will only be dealt with ultimately by increasing still further the numbers of NHS dentists, and that's what we intend to do. Emily Thornbury. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that the recently published crime statistics in London are thanks at least in part to the, to the commitment that the Mayor of London has shown to safer neighbourhood teams? Would he also agree that local authorities have a part to play in fighting crime and that that part has hardly been played well by my local council, my local Liberal council in Islington? who in their recently trumpeted installation of CCTV cameras in Islington 
have installed fewer CCTV cameras in the whole of the borough than Ken Livingstone has installed at the Angel Tube Station. Well, um, first of all, uh, I would pay tribute to the work of the, the police, uh, the Mayor of London, um, and the local um, authorities that have, that have used the powers and the resources available to them. And the other thing that she is, she is absolutely right to draw attention to is that crime in London has fallen and fallen significantly, in particular violent crime. That is extremely important. But she's also right in saying that one major part of the reason for that has been the introduction of neighbourhood uh, policing teams and, of course, the antisocial behaviour and other laws that this government has introduced. Adrian Saunders. Would the Prime Minister have a word with his further education secretary and Minister for Regeneration and European Funding to put a block on a potential £20 million of taxpayers' money being used to relocate Dartington College from one part of the southwest region to another, <coughs> having a devastating impact on the South Devon economy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm perfectly happy to look into it, but I'll have to correspond with him about it because I don't know the details of it myself. Meg Hillier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. S Mr. Speaker, I was delighted to hear from the Secretary of State for Education and the Secretary of State for the Environment that we will be releasing a video of Al Gore's film to all secondary schools. But would my right honourable friend join me in condemning the local councillor who has taken the government to judicial review on this, the local Conservative councillor? <laughs> Uh, I'm sure the right on gentleman can have a, have a word with his local councillor um, and bring him into line. <laughs> Better luck than most party leaders on that score. But uh, if I could say to you, I actually think it's a very important film for people to see. I'm sure that a, a lot of schools will enjoy seeing it. Um, and it's one of those films that is both entertaining and highly informative as well. And of course, deals with one of the most important issues in our politics today. John Randall. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Yeah. I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree with me and I think all members of this House the need for uh, conservation uh, uh, in the marine uh, environment. Uh, the Government have published their white paper. Um, if the Prime Minister wants to have a legacy, does he think that it would be a good idea to give a firm commitment to bringing forward a marine bill or could he leave a note for his successor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as I recall it actually, bringing forward a marine bill was part of our, our, our manifesto. So, um, um, so we will, we will indeed, no doubt, since the Parliament has not finished, be proceeding with it. Mark Lazarevich. On the uh, theme of a marine environment, uh, my honourable friend will be aware that last weekend hundreds of millions of gallons of raw sewage were discharged into the Firth of Forth from a plant operated for Scottish Water by the privatised water company uh, uh, Thames Water. Initial investigations have raised real concerns about the standby procedures under contingency plans at that plant. Will the Prime Minister ensure that UK ministers work closely with their Scottish executive to ensure that such failures in the procedures cannot be repeated elsewhere in the UK and will not damage any other community of the way that Edinburgh and the communities around the Firth of Forth have been damaged by this incident? Well, I am. Thank God, friend, that I entirely support the First Minister's decision to hold a, um, a proper in inquiry into this incident. I'm sure we will learn the lessons not just for what has happened in Scotland, but throughout the UK as well. Nigel Watterson. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. With barely two weeks to go before the Prime Minister announces the timetable for his departure, um, would, he share with the, would he share with the House now uh, what, as he leaves Number 10 Downing Street, will be his greatest regret? 
I mean, I think having defeated the Conservative Party three times at successive general elections, it's probably he who should be expressing his greatest regret, not me. Andrew Love. A year ago, a brand new £7 million health centre opened in my constituency. Last month, that was followed by a second health service uh, uh, facility opening. Uh, uh, together, they are transforming the primary care and community services now available to my constituencies. But inevitably, what my constituents want from the health service is the £110 million redevelopment of the North Middlesex Hospital, a hospital that serves the most deprived communities, some of the most deprived communities in the country. Can my, we're nearly there. It's almost complete. Can my right honourable friend do what he can to assist to complete this project so that we can start the new build in June of this year? Well, um, first of all, uh, let me say to my, my, my honourable friend that um, as a result of the decision that was taken in February of this year, um, the scheme is now going to proceed subject to a number of the conditions being met, and I hope very shortly uh, there will be a full and proper announcement on it. But it's worth just pointing out, because this is part of a whole um, scheme of changes that have been made right across the, the country. This is an £111 million worth of investment. Um, the new wards will provide 150 inpatient beds. Uh, the development will house a diagnostic and treatment centre, an emergency care centre, an acute critical care centre. And it is part, as he rightly says, of the changing pattern of healthcare, which is going to mean that, whereas in 1997, the majority, the clear majority of buildings in the NHS were actually built before the NHS came into existence, um, now that figure is down to 25%. That is the scale of the capital investment this government's made in the NHS. Michael Hearn. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister think again about his ill-considered plan to break up the Home Office, which has attracted such widespread criticism? Will he cast his mind back, just for a moment or two, to those halcyon days when he was Shadow Home Secretary? <laughs> when the department had, of course, a much wider remit than it has today. And does he share my recollection that at that time, both he and indeed the Home Secretary of the day were able to discharge their respective responsibilities perfectly competently and without any undue difficulty? Well, it's not exactly my recollection, actually, <laughs> um, because I recollect that when we came into power, and he had been a Home Secretary, the average time it took to do an asylum claim was 20 months, I think it was, yeah. The backlog was 60,000. Um, there have been a number of Category A escapes from prison, uh, and it, not under him, to be fair, but under the Conservative government, crime had doubled. So... I think I prefer our experience to his. <laughs> the Prime Minister will recall uh, that DAC Peter Clark's speech included the reference to the leaks leading to a damaging lack of trust in intelligence. What impact does he think that the unfounded allegation by the gentleman opposite that those might be the responsible of government ministers or civil servants will have on trust in intelligence. I think my, my honourable friend makes a very fair point and I think if people have evidence they should produce it otherwise they should not make the allegation. David Simpson. 
Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Over recent years, we have seen the decline in the health service right across the United Kingdom and also the closure of schools. Yet, yet in the press today, we see that the government planned to spend £30 million to open an academy to teach parents to sing nursery rhymes to their children. How can the government justify that? Well, um, I'm, just at this moment in time, I'm very uh, loath to disagree with anything anyone says from his political party. But I'm afraid I, I, I have to say I can't agree that we have cut... Um, the spending in the health service or schools. I mean, I don't know the precise uh, facts in respect of Northern Ireland, but the investment that has gone out throughout the UK in health and education is enormous. Indeed, uh, I was giving a statistic about the health service just a moment ago, but in schools, for example, there, is more, there have been more new schools built in this country in the past five years than in the previous 25. So... Um, I, uh, I, I don't know about this 30 million investment in nursery rhymes. That strikes me as not very likely. But I can assure him we are making a huge investment in public services. Kevin McCarthy. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Avon of Somerset Police in making full use of the powers given to them under antisocial behaviour legislation to close 56 crack dens? That's more than anywhere else in the country outside London. And does he share my astonishment that the local council is now claiming credit for this, given that their party voted against the legislation that made it possible? It's a fair point, I think. It is a fair point. the, the, The fact is... The, these powers that, for example, I mean, she talked about the, the, the record on, on closing uh, crack houses. This is, this is a power that we introduced, that we were told by the party opposite, the Conservative Party, was a gimmick. The Lib Dems actually opposed it and said it was an interference with the civil liberties of people. It allows local authorities to evict people from a house. Sorry? Well... Let me just point out to the Honourable Gentleman, he voted against these powers, didn't he? And so what he actually should be doing is getting Liberal Democrat councils to stand up and thank the Labour government for having introduced the powers. And then next time when we bring the new batch of powers, he should be voting for them and not against them. My constituent, Jamil Albana, has been held in Guantanamo Bay for over four years without charge, without trial, and without hope. The British government claim that they cannot intervene on behalf of a non-British citizen because they have no consular locus. Does not the return of Bishar al-Rori entirely undermine his position? No, I don't agree with that, and it's very important that we do not take on responsibility for people who are not British citizens in those circumstances. And I would also say this to her, though we have made clear our um, desire to see Guantanamo close and, and make sure that the people are subject to a proper trial there, I think it is also always important to remember um, that those people who have been there, there have been real issues um, about them and their conduct over a period of time. And I would only say to her just to remember that this arose out of September the 11th and Afghanistan. So I, I, I'm afraid I cannot give the assurance that she wants me to give. Guardian Unlimited.